15 comes down off uh, the platform here. I'll give him just a second. Our reading this morning will come from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of the Lord together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, not more, val of, are you of no more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your, lifespan, your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you a little, you a little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, church, this morning, first, before we even get into this, I, want to, I just want to mention to you, uh, please be in prayer for Griffin and Kelly Hodges. They just had their little boy here this past week. Uh, um, Gavin is his name. And, uh, and so you guys be praying for them. If you are in connection to them in any way, uh, I'm certainly, I'm sure they would welcome a text of celebration or, or you know, our support. And if there's anything that uh, there are any needs up there, we'll certainly keep you apprised of them as the days unfold. So just be in prayer for them in the, um, in the days ahead. Of course, as new parents, this is uh, always a fun, exhilarating time, but also a, a, a new and, and, and challenging time as well. So be praying for them during these, these days ahead. Um, uh, the second thing I want to say before we jump in is um, bring the snow. All right? Bring the snow. Bring all the snow. If you are not a snow person, please just don't take your negativity and bring it and put it for me after the service. Bring the snow. All right? Um, we're going to bring it, and, uh, and it's gonna have, we're going to have some good time the next couple of days, um, Lord willing. All right. Well, enough with the fun, trivial things this morning um, with snow and whatnot. Um, this morning, we are going to continue in a series that we started last week on considering the, uh, how we might practice the king's economy. Um, 
And, and the main idea underneath that title of practicing the king's economy is how the gospel transforms our relationship with money and wealth. And today we're going to take the next step in that and consider how, our relation, our, how we might redeem our relationship with money, if that word is appropriate to be used there. So as you know, we launched off last weekend, and, and again, this title of, 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 um, of uh, practicing the king's economy is not new to me. It's actually from a book that I read back in the fall, not necessarily particularly about money, but about the whole big picture of stewardship under God and made in the image of God, but some, certainly one that stuck with me, and I thought, man, um, I'm going to repurpose that for our series. Um, I think will be helpful because I think it says a lot in it that says everything what we're trying to pursue in this series. And so the, the goal, though, as I've said already, is to explore how we relate to money and how the Bible envisions God's people realigning and redeeming um, our relationship with money and how we use it in the world for his glory. And so the end goal, when we'll find out here in a couple of weeks, would be is one simple goal. How does redeeming grace, how does the grace of God um, reshape the way we uh, spend budget, spend, save, give, or any other things related to our financial stewardship. And so last week we started with building the foundation. The foundation, the ground uh, of how we relate to it is found in creation itself. Um, We said before we could even talk about money, we had to go back to creation and look at what God has designed us, how he shaped us. And so we noted in that uh, sermon last week that we are created as wise stewards in relationship to our money and wealth. That's what we're called to be. And so in that, we are function in several different identities, living as people in a broken world. We function, number one, as creatures um, who live for the glory of and under the sovereign rule of a great creator. That's got to be the starting point. Everything starts with living under the sovereign good rule of our creator, God. We also recognize that we are sinners who struggle uh, to properly relate to any things in our life, but money and wealth are one of those things that tend to be a regular thing that we we need to continue to submit to the Lord in under him as as creatures under a great creator. We also recognize that we also are sufferers who live in a world where money is, it, it, it rules and connects to almost every area of life, or at least so many areas of life. But we also need to be reminded that we're saints. That if we're creatures, by God's grace through Jesus, we are saints who live with a great inheritance because of what Christ has accomplished. And now we use um, that our, our money and our resources and our time and our treasure, all these different things, and we invest that into things greater than the present moment. We invest them in eternal realities. So today we're going to take and, and continue to build on this foundation from last week. And, um, and so here's a summary of where we're going to go. Because we are li- uh, wise stewards of God, uh, the wise steward of God will regularly remind themselves, you and I will regularly remind ourselves of the blessings and the dangers, uh, you might say the promises and the perils, um, of, of wealth and money and seek to retune, re, uh, routinely realign and renew our relationship with our financial affairs. I'll say that again. The, uh, the wise steward of God will regularly remind themselves, because we're under Christ, of the blessings and dangers, the promises and perils, whatever way you want to use, and seek to, re, uh, to routinely realign and renew the way we operate in our financial affairs. 
And so what we're going to do this morning, and you can find the inside your guide if you've got one, um, a two rubrics, if you will, that we're going to just kind of interact with this morning. Um, again, I recognize this is not the normal, typical way in which we, uh, we preach. We typically go through a Bible, book of the Bible, and we're going to get back to that here in February. But we're just trying to build a theology, in some sense, of what does God want us to do with the things he's given us. And, and, and there's really no area in our life that impacts so much of our life than it is our money. And so these two larger rubrics this morning are, are, are set out there in that guide. First, we're going to take a kind of a 10,000-foot view of the Bible's teaching on money. And, and what the Bible unfolds about the promises, as I said, or the perils of money in our life. And kind of set that as, this is what God says about the, the goodness of it and the deception of it. And then we're going to look at the second half of our time together. We'll look at Matthew 6, which I just read. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer additionally. And we're going to consider what, how, what regular, daily realignment and renewal looks like or what is needed in our financial affairs okay so that's what we're going to try to do this morning and so let's go ahead and kind of jump in here first thing we're going to look at is the primary way the bible talks about money and it doesn't take a genius to realize that the bible kind of puts the money into two categories it's dangerous but it's also a blessing Almost every verse in the scriptures that talks about money has some relationship to one of these two extremes. It has a promise. It comes with a blessing, but it also has a peril. There's some danger that comes along with it if we are not careful with how we relate to money. And so from the beginning, what I want to say as a disclaimer is that, as I said last week, the real issue is never really money. And you'll see this in the verses that we're going to explore here. We're just going to look at a cornucopia of verses this morning. Um, it always comes to our hearts. And nothing exposes, I believe, our hearts more than how we relate to the wealth and the materials that God has given us or that we've been able to acquire in this world. Money is, therefore, amoral. It is a, it's just a thing. And it's not living. It has no spirit. It has no power. It has nothing. It's just a thing that gets manipulated and used by sin, oftentimes, or it can be used for the glory of God. And there is no middle ground. Like it's, it's either we are going to submit this to the Lord or we're going to submit this to ourselves. It's just, there's really very little way in which we can differentiate the two in, the, in between. Because money impacts, as I said, I'll say this several times today, impacts almost every area of our life. When I do premarital counseling with people, um, I usually outline, and me and Amanda will outline three or four big areas that show up in, in the pressures of marriage. And, and, we, and anyone who's been married knows what they are. You don't even have to have me tell you, but it's money, it's kids, it's sex, and it's in-laws. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's what it, it is. And you, and when we have conversations building up, it's like how do you, how you relate, and what you agree upon, and how you submit these things to the Lord is going to make all the difference when you're trying to be intentional. So how we, um, how we relate to those area, areas tends to kind of reveal the spiritual barometer, the the temperature of our spiritual, if you want to use that term, that exposes the condition of our hearts, and 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 really it points us to where mercy and where grace and where goodness of God needs to be applied afresh, right? This is not just a one-day thing. It's not just a one-decision thing that we're going to make at the end of this series. It's going to be just a daily, every day, coming to the Lord and recognizing that these things, they, they, that the 
the, the evil one is very skilled at throwing the same things at us in different ways to get us back to the same old temptations. Okay, I think we all know that if you've been walking with Jesus. So let's just look at a few verses. I'm going to just name a few of them. We're going to read them off. I'll make maybe where some need a little bit of clarification. I'll make a brief comment, but I'm just going to let the, this is one of those passages where can we just let the word stand on its own? Not a whole lot more commentary. I will limit my commentary um, for each one of these, but I think they're worth just at least seeing them. And you might want to write them down, the references, and there are a lot of them, okay? We're going to get to more, you know, overview exposition in Matthew 6 here in just a little bit, but just, just ready your pen for a moment. And, and, uh, and if you need me to give these to you after the fact, we can. But just think about 1 Timothy, Paul's instruction in verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's what he says to, the, to the young, his young protege. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So this is very simple. Beware the temptation of riches. Beware of the temptation of the love of money. Again, Money is immoral, it's, it's an item, it's a thing, but it's the love, it's, it's setting an affection, an inordinate affection towards money that is the, the root of so much of sin in our lives. Luke 12, uh, verse 34, for where your treasure is, and we'll see this in the passage today, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the beginning. It's just challenging the, the where do we ultimately put our affections, treasure, the argument is, and, you, and if you've at all read anything about John Piper, this is one of the main things he says constantly is, love equals treasure. Treasure equals love. It's just that simple. Psalm 62, verse 10. Put no trust in, in extortion, set no vain hopes in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So he's not saying rich or poor is a thing, a good or a bad thing, but setting our hearts on riches can lead us to using and manipulating people for riches. We begin to maybe even relate to people based on that. We've probably done this. We relate to maybe perhaps you've had a bad relationship with a, with a parent and you know that that relationship is bad, but you kind of endure it because there's money involved. Maybe they've been really good about manipulating and controlling you with money. And we don't like that, and, but we still, oh, I need the money, or I want the money, right? Um, as, as I've seen this in churches, that sometimes pastors won't, will relate to members who are problem members at times because they're good givers in the church. And then they'll endure sinful behavior because they need, they like, I want to make sure we have a padded bank account for the church. It can be happening in any number of ways, but we make sure that when we relate to money improperly and, and, and whatever it may be, we, we got to make sure that we don't. In, this, in, the, in the right sense, set our heart on them so that we would uh, uh, rob people or extort people or manipulate people. Ecclesiastes 5.10. I love Ecclesiastes. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. It's all vanity. In other words, there's never going to be enough. When money is our treasure, there's never going to be enough of that to satisfy us. There's just never enough. I don't care. Like I said it last week, it's, it's, it's funny how we are, I, I play the game. You, probably you play the game too. Like it, when I have enough, I will start to do X, Y, or Z with it. Give more, uh, save more, whatever it may be, right? But that's not what actually happens. When we start to let money be the treasure, we can never get enough of it. 
just like a lot of things. When sex is our treasure, we can't get enough of it. This is what happens. Um, Pro, um, Proverbs 16.8, better is a little with righteous than great revenues with injustice. Again, it's kind of what we set up there in uh, Psalm 62, right? To live righteously with money. When we allow it to be our pursuit, though, we will begin to define everything by it. We don't want to define everything by money. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, wonderful, what a wonderful thing. And that's, we're in the list right now of the more perils of money. But what a wonderful truth this is. Contentment has got to be the ultimate goal for the believer. And money will never make us content. When we allow it to be our pursuit, we will begin to be defined it by everything, right? Loving something that is not eternal can never return the love that we long for. And it says right there, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Money will. It will, you'll have ups and downs in your bank account. You, you will do this, and it will never be able to return the love and affection that you give to it. But Jesus will maximize every ounce of love that you and I long for. He will never leave us, and he will never forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. Proverbs 23.4, do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. In other words, our work is, about, is not about your work, it's not about gaining more wealth. Although, again, we're not saying, and the Bible never actually affirms that we should not, you should not be wise stewards and, 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 and be wealthy or poor. It's not, there's no poverty ethic in the scriptures. We'll make sure we say that. But it's about living a God-glorifying life. And then Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. The goal of money has to be a blessing for the believer. It comes from faithfulness. And so it's not about accumulating more lifestyle. So a lot of times you might hear someone say, if someone comes into church and they maybe have lots of resources, oh man, they can do so much for the kingdom fruitfulness never precedes faithfulness faithfulness always precedes fruitfulness god can do more with a little that someone gives in full devotion to him than he will ever do with someone who comes and gives it half-heartedly to him and so that's the perils of money that's the the dangers of money but there certainly the bible doesn't talk about uh, money just exclusively in the negative. It speaks of it in the positive, the blessings and the promises of money. Proverbs ten fifteen: a man's ri- um, a rich man's wealth is is his is his strong city, and the poverty of the poor is his ruin. In other words, those who are financially faithful and uh, will build strong systems and communities and people you'll see that lived out in the way that they go about doing it when they're faithful with their finances those who are not tend to be a drain on societies they tend to be impoverished communities being rich or poor is not the focus of this of this proverb it doesn't have anything really to do with how much money you have you can be very rich and still be very poor and you can be very poor and still be very rich but what the what the passage here is trying to say is that it's about our mindset about money. It's about our mindset about our wealth, right? It doesn't matter about how rich or how much money we have. We are either going, we're going to be as poor as our attitude, and we're going to be as rich as our attitude, and how that is submitted to the Lord. Deuteronomy 15.10, You shall give to him freely, talking about neighbors and people in need, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. 
In other words, give freely, give freely to the aid of others, bless others where you are able, and God blesses those with a generous outlook on life in some capacity. Again, passages often manipulated by the prosperity gospel, but we must recognize that they are there. There is a principle that those who bless, God will bless. Those who are faithful, God will be faithful to them. Now, again, we want to, be, we want to steer away from excesses and how people tend to stretch those passages. Malachi 3.10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need, no more need. In other words, the tithe, the giving, the regular, and listen, the, the picture here is we, we give to the church to meet to the ministry needs of the church and those who care for that. Like when they would go to the synagogues, they were there to make sure the people who attended to that were, had their needs met. So that's the picture here. The tithe in the storehouse, it supports the work of ministry and God challenges those of his people to bring it in and see that he will, he, he'll bless them when they do. He'll make sure that their needs are met and, and in some cases prosper them greatly as he sees fit according to his providences and his plans. Then we got Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, we want to be careful not to manipulate such passages. The truth is those who do honorably, though, as I said a minute ago, with their money in most cases, will not only have their needs met, but will have plentiful provisions. Again, some of that comes down to perspective. The wine here in this passage is a mark of a festive life. So you don't give begrudgingly. You don't give out of a poverty ethic. You don't give. We give because we are living joyfully, and there's some, that wine represents festivity, celebration. Like God encourages people at certain high seasons to have these feasts, to celebrate all that God gave them, and they enjoyed the good bounty of God. See, the Bible doesn't preach into a poverty ethic, as I said. It calls us to the blessed life that God will provide in different ways of what that blessing might look like. A few more verses. Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, people who are faithful in their work in various vocations build healthy things. They build healthy businesses. If you have the opportunity to be a business owner or be a manager or a district a regional supervisor, whatever it may be, people who are faithful in their work, and this is extending into work, not just money, but they build healthy things. They build healthy families. They build healthy societies. And so we want a society like that, and Christians should engage in such a way. Work ethic matters. It just does. So parents, um, just as a side note, we're not called to provide the American dream for our children. I can fall into that lie way too often. But we are called to, to hard work to provide well for our families in relative ways. In other words, we, we do want to show our children that we're willing to work to provide the, the needs that they have and give them a model so that they go into the workforce themselves, into adulthood, and do the same thing. Because we don't want them just to be a blessing to their families, but people who work hard bless all communities. And we have a work ethic uh, a challenge today, I think, in our world. Luke 16, 
I'm sorry, uh, Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. In other words, this is not precluding that there is sometimes places of indebtedness. This is not what the passage is trying to say. It's a, it's a general principle, though, that there are different kinds of indebtedness. We all know that. We all know there's a difference between being indebted for a house versus being indebted to a bunch of credit cards. I think we all understand the difference between the two. But the principle is still a simple principle. Those who yoke themselves to endless debt will be subject to living for those purposes. And they'll be subject to living for other people's purposes, not their own, and not for the glory of God. So we have to be careful with how we leverage debt. Luke 16, verses 10 through 11. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful um, in uh, the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Again, faithfulness precedes fruitfulness. It just does. James 4, 3, our last verse here in this section. 4, verse 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And this is the real litmus test, right? That you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We're not really depending on God. We're depending on ourselves and our circumstances to get us where we want to go. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on what? Your passions and your desires. See, out of control desires are the root of fruitless living. And our desires need to be oriented towards better treasure, brothers and sisters. See, the point of all these passages, when you put them all together, is that we will, be, we will all interact with money in one way or the other. We will all interact with money as a blessing, or it will, we will act on money as a peril. And there's really no, there's no real in-between there. Money will either bless you and me, or it will curse you and I. It will take powerful rescuing grace. And this is the whole point of this series. That's what I said last week, because I don't ever want to manipulate people with money. It takes powerful rescuing grace to walk a path of blessing because it's not natural to us. And, but when we do allow grace to in, get into the midst of our pocketbooks and our wallets and our, and our, well, we don't do checks anymore, but you know what I mean. Um, it helps with what? It helps with our ingratitude, right? Like we're just not grateful for the things God's given us. It helps us Define the difference between need and want. I don't know about you, but I can look at my budget and I see a lot of things that I've now shifted to make that were, that really are just wants. They've somehow now suddenly became needs. And I heard of one wise person say this in terms of just general budgeting principles. He says, you know, if 50% should be your need of your salary or budget, 30% should be your want and 20% should be your give, 20 giving slash saving slash, you know, whatever. I think it's a great principle. I don't know necessarily that, I mean, I think you could probably make some arguments from the Bible from, from that stuff. But the point is, it's just living on what you have. And if you're a young couple and you're just getting started in life, let me say this, start this now, get wise counsel, because I'm going to tell you there are people in this room, myself included, who did not do this right, and it took a long time to dig out of that mess. But God's been gracious. Listen to those people who tell you to save. Listen to those people who say start your retirement fund. Listen to those people who say give to the church. Listen to those people who tell you to budget and live, on, live wisely. Listen to those people who tell you stay away from credit cards if you don't. Oh, man. Right? Just listen to them. Helps us define our need versus want. Help us to expose discontent in our life. Right? 
And when we do that, it, it'll help us face the envy that lies so deeply in some of our hearts, my heart included, that might not be aware of on any given day. Let's keep these things in mind. So that's the first thing I want to do is just kind of look at the primary way the Bible talks about money. And we see several verses here, and I've given you a litany of them. I hope that you'll go back and think through some of these things on your own time. So then what do we do with that? How do we, knowing that's the reality of the relationship of money that we tend to have, what do we do? How do we realign? That's our second point. How do we daily realign and daily renew our relationship with money? Well, I have three things that I want to look at here in, in chapter, Matthew chapter 6. And I think, and I'm, I'm just bringing some loose principles here, so forgive me because I just feel like we're not going to do an exhaustive exposition of these passages of, of, of Matthew 6, but I think they, they help us because these are, this is the way Jesus is teaching his, this young fledgling group of followers around him about how to live their life that's just, that's so focused on the glory of God. And so that, that first point there is really important. We see it there in the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 13. We need to realign our relationship with money through God-entranced prayer. Look what it says. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. They love, I'm sorry, this is verse 5, to stand and pray in the synagogue. So in other words, they pray to get attention. But, Paul, but, God, but, but Jesus says there's a different way to pray. It's a prayer that kind of stands before God alone. And he says, pray like this in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we prayed that prayer and we meant it every day, it would transform every aspect of our lives. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glory to you, Christ. Glory to you, Jesus. It would transform your marriage. And when we don't do that, we, don't, we, can't, we have no hope for these things. No. The first part, verses 9 and 10, orients us towards what? God's glory. That has to be the starting point. We, it orients us towards the will of God in His kingdom that is being realized on earth through His people. This is extremely important. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, we know that there's a day coming when Jesus returns. But that doesn't mean in this time period right now that we don't make visible the will of God in the way in which we live. We want to make visible the grace of God. We want to make visible the rule of God in our life through the way we live. And I can tell you, as you most hopefully would agree with me, one of the greatest ways we can do that is with our money, with our wealth. It just is. Sorry, my, uh, there it is. But it just doesn't or, or orient us towards God's glory. It also reorients us toward a kingdom attitude. Look at verses 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread. What if we just kind of say, God, give me what I need. Just give me what I need. I'll trust you today. That's, all, that's, all, that's sufficient for today. That's what we'll see later on. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive the, forgive, forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it, it, the prayer reorients us towards a kingdom kind of attitude. It, it's, it's, it shows a dependence on God and his daily provisions. And it reminds us that who is the ultimate giver? God. He's the one who breathed life into your lungs. He is the one who created you intimately with his own hand, with like just... Like, from the ground, he made you and I. 
He is the ultimate giver. It calls us to a humility before God in the way in which we, we, we recognize that we have a debt. We have a debt to God. We have a debt to others in our society and whatever else. And it just it kind of creates a different mindset to how we handle those things. It also creates a different mindset with how we handle the debts of others towards us. And it calls us to, for, to more abundant forgiveness towards them. This should be our attitude. What well, if our attitude changed towards blessing others? How would God, how would God would turn and bless us? Again, not with that main goal in mind, but just a humble dependence upon God. But also that God protects. We see this in verse 13. That he protects us in our temptations and he delivers us from evil. Like, what would transform about the way we look at our money if we said, God, you, you, you help protect me from the perils of all the dangers we just talked about. I want that to be my God-entranced prayer from, for, for how I handle the money and the wealth that God, you've given me for my family, for my community, for my church. No, we need to realign our relationship with money through God-entranced prayer. Secondly, we need to realign our relationship with money through or with new treasure. Look at verse um, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So Jesus gives this juxtaposition between the temporal treasure and eternal treasure. And it's always the battle, isn't it? It's always the battle for you and I. It's always the battle for my heart of which will get the preeminent focus and affection of my life. Will it be temporal treasure, whatever that may be, or will it be eternal treasure? And this is, what the, this is always the decision that needs to be made. It's not just a decision we make when we're converted. It's a decision you and I make every day when we get our, out of bed, we put our feet on the ground. Will today temporal treasure become my effect, get my affections, or will eternal treasure get my affections? That's what Jesus has in mind here in verses 19 through 20. And he continues in 22 to give a further illustration. The eye is the lamp of the body, uh, and it just gives us more practical application. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? And so he's warning them. Where your eyes are, are, are connected to, where our, eye, our gaze is set, is likely where your treasure is. It really is. This doesn't preclude the fact that we're going to be diligent, right? I mean, like I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I balance things and keep things in good order and we're shifting things. And, you know, that's one thing. But it's one of those things where it's like I'm just doing this so that I can create a certain kind of lifestyle for myself or whatever may be the motivation behind that. He, he, he says the eye will be set on its gaze on one of two treasures. And then he finishes up here in this section. No one can serve two masters. That is ultimately the decision. You will either be, it says it right there very clearly, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, and it's interesting, interesting that the reference here is you cannot serve God and money. Because ultimately it is treasure. And, and it's just, again, I think Jesus is so, he talks about money so much because he uses it as an illustration because he knows how much it grips our hearts. So realigning our hearts with new treasure is a daily activity. 
It's a daily intentionality to set before the Lord and say, Lord, you are king and ruler of my life. Is your will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's going to be our attitude, it means to me that every day I must say, God, this is not like the, the, the resources and the time, talent, and treasure you've given me are not mine to do what I with on my own. I must, I must, I must invest those in proper treasure, worthy treasure. This is the idea here. Because at the end of the day, as I said before, the treasure here, in case you haven't made the connection, is Jesus. It's the supremacy of Jesus. And there is no other treasure that compares to the supremacy of Jesus. When you set and we set our hearts on inferior treasure, it will lead to all kinds of things. You want to know why depression's up? Because most of the time, most of the time, it's because we have our, eye, our hearts affect on inferior treasure. You know why hopelessness is up in our country? It's because we have our hearts focused on inferior treasure. And these treasures come in all kinds of ways. We've, we, we can touch on some of them. It comes in the form of relationships, perhaps, romance, sexual fulfillment, sexual identity. These are the idols of our age. And friends, listen, it's nothing new under the sun. These have been the idols of the age for, since the beginning of time. And then money. And when, and when we try to fill that hole in our heart that is so deep with these, these, these kinds of depleting resources, these depleting treasures... We recognize that we're, we're just, we're, it's like, it's just like kind of throwing, uh, like you can never fill it up. Uh, how, when you first bought a house, if those of us, you know, this is an illustration for those who, you know, who bought a house, and you saw the little breakdown of, of, your, of your mortgage payment they give you every time, this is how it's going to be in every month and how much of it's going towards your principal and how much of it's going towards interest, and you look at that and you're like, I'm never, ever, ever going to pay this thing off, right? We've all been there, right? Well, that's kind of how it feels sometimes when it comes to trying to fill this hole in our hearts, a hole in our, in our affections with things that are depleting resources. They cannot fulfill us. And there's a reason, just since we're going into the election year, let's go ahead and put that out there, that this year, no matter what we've been fighting on over the last two years, you do realize that the one thing that always, always, always affects elections is money, Right? How come economy is the one thing that always changes the direction of election? Because in America, this is one of our gods. It is probably our one supreme god. Money and prosperity, along with sexual fulfillment, are the two greatest hopeless treasures that we idolize in the U.S. today. They just do. And so the, the result is, when it's all said and done, is we were repl as, as replacing our hope in inferior treasure, is that it can only result in like anxiousness. And that's where Jesus goes next. If you want to see why the rise of anxiety is here, like when I sit down with people, it may take a while, but eventually we get here. Because ultimately it's coming down to what is it that you're clinging to most in your life? And that's where Jesus goes here in verses 25 through 34. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not, is not life more than food or your body more than clothing. And just keep on jumping on down here. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, he lay, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown away in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, our, our anxiety so many times, and again, I know, I'm like, like, almost everyone's got, I mean, it seems like this is the, the thing, right? It's rooted in things that we can't control or things that we want control over or things that we don't have and we want and we want them more than God. At the end of the day, when you want something more than God, you have nothing left but fear and anxiety. You just have nothing left. And friends, I don't say that out of, as a judgment on anyone here. I'm saying that because that has been my own soul so many times in my life. It has. And it takes daily, daily coming before the Lord God. And when I don't, I can tell you I see the difference. No, our confidence, and this is why I related that first, that third point of realigning our relationship with money with a better confidence. Our confidence must return to God who values us more than all of creation. Money doesn't care what happens to you. Sex doesn't care what happens to you. Relationships don't matter when it's all said. They will perish. They'll come and go. But no, confidence must return, must be us returning to God who has valued us above all of creation. That's what he says here in this passage. That he's sovereignly ruling over us. Brothers and sisters, what if, it, what if we just, just every day recognize God is, on, he is in control? And he's ruling you and I, and he's ruling us well. He's ruling you far better than you're ruling yourself. He's ruling me far better than I'm ruling myself. Because at the core of his sovereign rule is sovereign grace. That's how he relates to his people. And he is, he is, he is delving out all of the sovereign goodness in our life. It said in one of the passages we read earlier, when we are faithful with much, we'll be when we're faithful with little, we'll be faithful with much. And when we're unfaithful with little, we'll be unfaithful with much. The point is, is that when, and that comes down to gratitude. If we'll just be okay, just, you know, if we will just learn to live with what God has given us, be thankful for that, you know what? We might find that all that anxiety and all that depression and all what, <laughs> the Lord might actually begin to heal and bring peace into our lives. Why? Because we're seeking the kingdom first, the kingdom of God. And our needs and cares are provided for what it says there. Seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He knows you need them. But we're not patient enough. We're not trusting enough. We're not dependent enough to actually allow him to rule. So the conclusion this morning is pretty simple. I recognize when, I pre when we preach ways like this, it's very easy to um, to miss Jesus. It's very easy to miss Christ. And I hope that that's not what has happened here in this message. But if it has, for anyone here, here's what I, I want to make sure you're clear about what we've seen. Number one, 
all Scripture is about Jesus. And if all Scripture is about Jesus, what we saw in Jesus' prayer is everything is about Jesus' kingdom, and we pray for that kingdom. Two, if everything in Scripture is about Jesus, the only treasure that satisfies is Jesus. It's the only way to transform the way we relate to money. And three, if everything in the Scriptures is about Jesus, our only confidence that destroys that fear and anxiety and that depression that grows in our hearts, and say it with me, is Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to do is just leave it there as we kind of get into more practical things in the next couple of weeks and recognize that this is lying behind how we talk about those more practical elements of, of money management and wealth and grace-driven giving, spending, and, and uh, saving. And so what I want to do is I just want to pray for us this morning and then prepare ourselves for the Lord's table and ask the Lord to do a, a, just do a, a, a powerful work in our hearts to just allow us to stand before him and, and bring these things to him in any way he might be dealing with us and, and related to the topic that we're at, at hand on money and wealth and that we might practice his kingdom economy for the rest of our lives. Father, just help us now this morning as we um, have heard your word. We've, we've looked at a lot of your word and we've explored it, and we've, we've, we've been challenged from it, from Jesus' own words this morning, to consider our relationship with money. Where do we? So, Father, this morning I just want to give us a moment to think about how we might relate to it, but maybe there's this, this one topic's not the topic for them. Maybe this, maybe this could be, you could take money and put something else there. Whatever, Lord, you want to do in the hearts of your people this morning, well, we would just pray that you would do it. We invite you to do it. And I pray that you would do it. And Father, as we come to the table here in a, in a moment, I just pray that you would help your people be delighted, joyful, to be agents of your grace, agents of your reconciliation, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5 last week. And then that would extend to all the affairs of our life. And we would be a people who would be a blessing and play a role in the flourishing of our communities and the flourishing of our families. And all of this was possible by grace, by the grace of Jesus. So help us now, Lord, as we prepare now for your Lord's table. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. As our team comes forward,